Well, I think the first, my first thought when I saw that scene again was, I am so glad that Jim Carrey is not God, or Bruce, whatever his name is. Um, But it brings up a question that we've all had. How is it possible for God to hear and respond to or interact with every prayer in the universe? I mean, billions of prayers. I mean, how does he have the capacity or the ability to handle our prayers? I mean, does he have a system? I mean, what's God's system like? Does he just automatically not hear the selfish ones? Does he have a filter on the types of hears, or the types of prayers that he's going to hear or be able to respond to? I don't know his process. I just know that he's God. And throughout the scriptures, we get this picture of God's bigness, that he is different from all of us, that he's unique. He's the creator. He's without limitations. He's omni. Now, omni means all or everything. That's where we get words like omnipotent, all-powerful. That's God. Omniscient. He's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. It means he can be everywhere. And that's the only way that God can interact with every human being on this earth. He's omnipotent. He is omni. Now, I think you and I are familiar with all the things that are not omni in our world, right? All the things, I mean, that promise they're going to be everything to us. They're going to promise to meet our needs. They're going to promise to deliver for us. They just can't. It's not possible. And so I'm reminded of this as I think back to high school. When I was 17 years old, my dad helped me buy my first car. It was like a 1981 or 1982 Dodge Omni. Now, here's, I think we have a picture of, this is not my car, but this is what it looked like. I want to know, who named this car the Omni? I mean, it looks pretty decent on the outside. And and believe me, this car, it was very functional. It carried me all the way through college. It got me from point A to B many times. But it was not Omni. It didn't have much power. It didn't even have 100 horsepower. Kind of ironic, huh? The Omni, 024. Well, uh, it had plenty of limitations, but God doesn't. Now, we're going to look at a couple of things as we think about prayer today. And the first is this. It's the main idea. We're going to talk about how we should pray. Now, how we should approach God and how we should pray for other people. Those are the two things that we're going to deal with. We're not going to talk about why we should pray. We're going to deal with how we should pray. And we'll be looking at some contrasts in our prayer life, just like the omni being not everything or all that. So as we look at prayer, the first and foremost thing that we have to do is understand the significance of Jesus. This is the one that we, as we look back to Easter last week, we celebrated Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his defeat of the power of death and sin. And here's what we read in Hebrews about Jesus and really about prayer, our relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings and temptations we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. 
There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. So Jesus is the one who makes prayer a reality for us where we can enter the throne room of God because he is the one who who paid for all of the broken things in our world, all the things that are not for our own sin and brokenness and inability to approach God. Jesus paid for it. He's the great high priest. Now, as we look at the Old Testament, it's significant to understand the role of the high priest throughout the Old Testament. See, there was only one time each year where the high priest could go into the most holy place and offer a sacrifice on behalf of all the people. It was the Day of Atonement. And so this was a great and holy day they would celebrate all week and, make, and really make preparations for themselves and as the high priest would go to the most holy place. And once a year, sins would be dealt with. So Jesus came into the world to deal with sin and death once and for all. Not every year, not multiple times, once and for all, Jesus, the great high priest, who made it um, possible for each of us as we live by faith to come whenever, anytime, any place into the presence of God. Now, that is an incredible privilege and reality for those of us who follow Christ. That is a great opportunity for you and I today, in this moment, when we go home this afternoon, tonight when we go to bed, tomorrow as we start the day, we can approach our gracious God because he is everywhere and he's available through the work of Jesus. So we ask the question, now why is prayer so difficult and confusing for many of us, for most of us? I know. I mean, there are lots of days where I feel like nothing's happening, that the throne room is eons away. Why is it so hard for us? I mean, we wonder, how should I approach God? What should I say? Is there a formula? And man, I hope nobody asked me to pray out loud. Ever had the Ben Stiller experience at the dinner table? Day by day, these three things I pray. It'll love you more dearly see you more clearly, and follow you more nearly, day by day by day. All right. Well, let's, uh, before I get carried away, let's look at a contrast. Jesus talks about how we should not pray. As we think about how we should approach God, Jesus tells us, this is how you should not go about it. He gives us some examples. He says this. This is Matthew 6. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they'll ever get. And I know what you're thinking, because praying out on the street corners for most of us, I mean, that either uh, is incredibly intimidating or irritating to us, right? Jesus says, no, that's not the way. I mean, he's basically saying, as he talks to all these um, religious actors, the hypocrites, is he's saying, don't be religious. Don't go out to gather attention or to seek your own gain or an audience when you pray. I want you to come humbly and diligently before God. That's, that's the way. 
Jesus said, but when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. He's present. He longs for you to come. He invites you. Even in this moment, he invites you to come. You see, one-on-one is the key to our relationship with God. That's where it starts. God wants you to be interacting with him, to be coming to him on a daily basis. I mean, you can pick a different place, a different location. What's important is that you create the space to come and to meet with God. Your words, your eloquence, or lack thereof, doesn't matter. He wants you to come and open your heart to him. That's the priority. Here's another contrast. When you pray, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do, as they follow religious rituals and superstitions. They think their prayers are answered by repeating their words over and over again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need, even before you ask Him. God simply wants you to come. He cares about your heart. He cares about what's on your heart, what's bothering your heart, where you're anxious He just says, come. Someone once said, in prayer, it's better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. Think about it for a moment. He just wants you to come. And he wants you to keep on coming. I mean, it's the same way for me with my kids. I want my kids to open up their hearts to me. I want them to share stuff with me, things that they're anxious about and afraid of or concerned about or struggling with. I want them to come. I don't want them to try to carry it on their own. I don't want them to go to others. I want them to come to me, whether it's convenient or not. At two in the morning, it's not a whole lot of fun, but I want them to come. So listen to this parable as Jesus, he plays out some more contrasts here as we think about prayer and what it means for us to approach God and to be able to pray consistently for other people. Here's uh, this parable or story that Jesus tells. This is Luke chapter 11. Then teaching them more about prayer, Jesus told this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night. My family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Go away. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now, we kind of get that in our culture. I mean, if you go to your neighbor's door in the middle of the night, you're probably not going to get a very good response, right? We get it. What we also get, if you have, especially if you have children, right, you immediately understand this story, don't you? Because that child of yours has, typically has a lot of persistence if they want something, right? And it, you know how it goes. Uh, my daughter can come to me and, you know, I can just say, no, it's not going to happen. No, no, no. Hey, let's talk about this later. No, we're not going to talk about this right now. We can talk about this later tonight. Okay, Fine. Go eat your Easter candy. Eat every bit of it. I don't care. Chocolate, all the rest of it. Just stop bothering me. You know how it goes. You know how it goes. All right. Here's what we miss, though. 
Here's what we miss, because we need to understand their culture. As Jesus told this parable or story, the audience was captivated and then caught off guard because of the twist in the story. You see, in their culture, hospitality was one of the greatest values. In fact, it came out of the law. As, as God talked about his, his people, Israel, and how he wanted them to live, they were to look out for the aliens and the outsiders. They were to share their resources with outsiders. And that was to remind them that they were outsiders when they were in Egypt. They were aliens. And so out of the law in, in the mitzvah, which was really all these additions that were added to the law later, the religious lawyers and scholars got together and they came up with 613 additions. And one of these had to do with hospitality, where you could actually, if you weren't hospitable, you could be punished or shamed, or ostracized from the community. And so as Jesus told this story, the people are listening, and the guy's knocking at the door at midnight, or actually he was calling to him, and really knocking the door then. He's like, hey, can you help me? And the guy's shouting back. And, I mean, all of a sudden, they're expecting this guy's going to get up and help him, and give him three loaves of bread, and some oil, and whatever else he needs. Because that's what a hospitable, good, gracious person does. And yet, he says, no way. Now think about how this was playing out. This is a story. It's a parable. Um, So it's not an actual event. But Jesus is saying, hey, the guy says no. And then the interaction goes on. He basically keeps knocking. He keeps asking. And in the village, these homes were fairly close in proximity. So everybody could hear what's going on. It's like when you and your wife are having a discussion and all the windows are open. A discussion. All the neighbors can hear. After a little bit, they're like, going on over there? Everybody in the town could hear what was happening and stood in disbelief that this guy was saying no. And yet this man persisted and persisted and persisted. So despite the late hour, the man's request and the unwillingness of his friend, he kept on asking and Jesus is telling his audience and he's telling us that a key to prayer is our persistence. I don't know about you, but it's, it's easy for me, after I pray something for a day or a week, to give up and say, oh, you know, God already knows, he's heard, and to stop, to lose a little bit of faith. And Jesus says, I want you to keep on persisting because the friend responded. So it's a contrast I mean, here's the contrast that Jesus is making. So this friend, who wasn't good or gracious, in fact, he was actually a bad guy for not being hospitable, yet he responded. If this guy will respond, how much more will the gracious, loving, omni-God who cares for his people respond when we persist? Um. Jesus Jesus finished this section talking about how important it was for for people, for us, to keep on asking, to keep on seeking, to keep on knocking. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. He who knocks, the door will eventually be opened. Now, that's not a guarantee, but that's the way that you and I are called to pray. So Jesus told another parable, and I think these went hand in hand 
uh, they went together. When Jesus was teaching, he probably told these parables together. That's what most scholars say. Luke chapter 18. I love this, this uh, story or parable. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him and repeatedly uh, saying, came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Now this is an interesting contrast. A corrupt, so if a corrupt self-centered judge will grant justice, what will a good and righteous and loving God do? Now, let's look at some background and some details from this parable as well. What we have to realize is this poor woman, this woman lived in poverty. In that culture, that meant she had no power. She was, had zero influence. She was a woman. She was poor. She had nothing to stand on. This judge had all the power and privilege. And yet, she flipped things upside down through her persistence And the judge who had the power caved or submitted to her constant request. So how did that happen? Well, she she persisted. Um, Imagine what it was like for the judge as he would come to the court every day. I mean, at first he would see the woman as he passed by and he's like, oh, there she is again. And then he started avoiding her. And then it was like, I can't believe she's here again, persisting. Asking for justice, asking for me to act over and over and over again. Now, this is interesting, too, because in the text, the, the, this phrase that we read, um, it says here, but the woman is driving me crazy. She keeps wearing me out with her constant requests. Now, the Greek language that's used is boxing language. So literally, the text says, she is beating me down. She's giving me a daily beat down. It was like Groundhog Day for this judge. Every day as he came in, she's beating, beating away. And he couldn't take it anymore. Now, I really don't want to teach this parable to my daughter. She doesn't need any uh, more initiative. But the point is clear. This woman persisted, almost in a, a, you know, over the line kind of way. But that's what Jesus is teaching us as we pray. To wear him out as we come to keep on pushing and praying and asking and knocking and believing that's how god wants us to pray all right here's a question that we all struggle with we push back on when we we hear these words we say yes that's that's great but what about all the times where god doesn't respond and we've been there Where we've prayed, it seems like, for weeks and sometimes years, and our marriages fail. Or we lose our job, or our our job is a struggle every day. Or you 
you're, you're having a tough time with one of your kids and nothing seems to be changing or your health, it's not improving. And we wonder, God, why aren't you responding? Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you showing me something? I have those same questions. And I wish I had, I wish I had an easy answer for you. The only answer that Jesus gives us is that God is good and he's gracious and he's loving and he cares. And that you and I are to keep on persisting, to not give up, to keep going, to keep coming before him. Because that kind of dependence, that kind of humility is key to our relationship with God and with our relationship with others. So three things. Um, This is the kind of faith, the kind of prayer life that Jesus is encouraging us to pursue. To pray. To pray consistently. He says you got to do it. To learn to pray daily, to depend on God. To be persistent, to keep coming, to keep asking. I mean, even though God knows what we need already, He wants us to come. He wants us to open our hearts. He wants us to share our anxiety, our hurt, our frustration, our positive things, our thanks, our gratitude. He wants us to share it all, to come persistently. And he wants us to come with confidence and boldness, to pray big prayers, to ask for big things. Now, I think this is is critical. It's critical as we interact with God. But it's also so important as we pray for that one person or that short list of people in your one-on-one relationships. This is how God wants you to pray on behalf of other people. I mean, imagine if you knew you had somebody praying for you on a regular, consistent basis. Now, how does that work? Well, I've got, um, I have four people that I'm developing these one-on-one relationships with right now. And one of the guys, uh, I've just met him in the last year. We've, you know, started hanging out, playing basketball together, getting to know each other. And, uh, and recently, you know, something big is, is happening in his life. He's going through a really tough time. He opened up to me about it. Now, this, this took months to get to this point, but we have a friendship. He knows I care about him. He knows I'm for him. And so he's opened up about his life. Now, if we're going to pray for somebody, we've got to get to know them, right? The more specifically we can pray, the more we know what somebody's going through, what's on their mind and their heart, the better we can pray, the better we can offer uh, them up to God. And so um, he started sharing more about this. And I, I check in with him every week. I see him every week. And I pray for him each day. And that's my commitment. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't even know how interested in he is God, in God. He hasn't gone to church. I don't think he's ever gone to church. But he's interested in me. He knows I'm a friend. He knows that I care. And he knows that I'm praying for him. He knows that I'm there for him. And so we start to work this out. And I get to learn through this process how to pray for him. How to seek God on his behalf. Now, one of the things um, that 
many of us in this community have been praying about over the last uh, year or so is for the McNarys. I mean, they'd been uh, fostering a child and then got another one, Jacqueline, little Jackie. And they, they've been praying, I mean, persistent, praying day after day. Now, this is last Monday. So when, when did you first get Jackie? June 28th. So they were already praying for this beautiful little gal ahead of time before they even knew her. But they've been praying for her since then, day after day, that God would allow her to become part of their family. And so last Monday, it was official and legal. This is their daughter, their second daughter. Sarah, you're already her big sister, but now it's official. And so the persistence, the day after day, dealing with the unknown. They didn't know how things would go through the court system, through the state. And yet they persisted. And they kept coming. They kept asking. They kept depending. Praying those bold prayers, God, that you would bring her into our family. I mean, there's all kinds of uncertainty, uh, not one of us really knows what tomorrow is going to look like. But God says, I want you to come. I want you to allow me to lead you. As, as you learn to pray with God and as you learn to pray for other people specifically. So here's the challenge. As we, uh, as we think about uh, prayer and how we work this out with that one person, with this short list of people, um, what if you were to take this challenge to pray for that person every day for the rest of this year? So it is April 27 today. That's basically eight more months, about 250 days. What if you would make that commitment to daily? I'm not talking about half hour, 45 minute prayers. Just making a commitment to pray for this person and see what God reveals to the process. Let's think about that as we pray together. Lord, we're, uh, we're grateful that you are an omni-God. I mean, you have no limitations. The only limitation you have is that you can't sin or do wrong. And you call us to come through Jesus, the great high priest who's led the way. So anytime, any place, we can open our heart and our lives to you. And you'll meet us. Give us grace today. Inspire us. Give us energy so that we can be like this widow or this guy who is in need who persisted. And ultimately, you gave them just what they needed. Lord, we seek that today. We lift up um, our friends, the men and women that we're trying to share our life and faith with. Maybe it's our kids, our own children. God, help us to know how to pray for them, to know how to encourage them, and ultimately, to trust their life with you. And we pray all this in Christ. Amen. Amen.